Sal Berry. What purpose does a sticker serve if you have no place to stick it? And Tim Parrish. Do you punch them, do you kick them, or do you hit them with a two-by-four? Those are your choices. This is the Puck Junk Podcast. Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Barry, and with me is Tim Parrish. And today we're going to talk about the 22-23 Black Diamond Hockey Set. We're also going to talk about the return of game-dated moments by Upper Deck, the return of Tops Now Hockey Stickers, an exclusive McFarlane Sports Pick action figure, eBay's policy change on card listings, and a few other things. So, Tim, how you been? Sounds like you had a fun little trip to Nashville, was it? Nashville, Cashville. Yep. It was a air quote work trip. Mm-hmm. Um, we went down there for a conference with like CE credit training and all that kind of stuff. So it was a good time. That was the first time I had actually ever been to Nashville other than driving through it. So first time I got to walk around, experience Broadway, go bar hopping, see some of the city and it was something, that's didn't, for sure. <laughs> didn't get to go to a Preds game? No, they weren't in town while we were there. They actually, what was their first home game was Friday, I think, or Thursday. And we were already gone at that point. I think it was ah. Thursday night. We were already on a plane back. So I saw Bridgestone, but didn't get to go to, didn't get to, go to a game. I'd love to go to a game at some point. But yeah, instead, uh, we partook in a lot of liquid libations while we were there (laughs) i guess if you go to a a preds game you have to like wear a predators jersey over your penguins jersey and then when you get to your seats you could take off the predators jersey and then show off your penguins jersey or maybe they don't do that anymore because remember for a while the predators were having a problem where there were more road fans than home fans at their games yeah i think they're started blocking people by zip code from buying tickets or whatever. Yeah. This was a while back. I think they're past that. They might do that for the playoffs, but I don't know if they do that for regular season. Let's put it this way. They don't have any problem filling seats. That place is packed pretty much all the time. Yeah. And they sell tickets. They sell corporate package tickets that a lot of businesses buy and just give out to their clients and stuff like that. Because, Nashville's turned into like a miniature version of Vegas. So it's people in and out constantly. And they have so many venues for conferences and things like that now that a lot of companies and stuff do their things from that area. Not to mention any given day, it's like bachelorette party after bachelorette party. <laughs> I mean, just walking up and down Broadway for a couple of days, I can't tell you how many bachelor parties we saw. We even saw a bat or bachelorette we even saw a bachelor party where all the guys were dressed in dresses so that was interesting wow yeah well okay so we actually got a new review for our podcast and i'd like to read this so a person by the name of isaac gmo3 gave us a five star rating that is out of five stars by the way five out of five not like five out of ten five out of five and five wow five out of five right a perfect score And he said here, pure hockey gold. I love hockey. It's my favorite sport. And this podcast is an amazing addition to any diehard hockey card fan. I love hockey cards and purchase many hockey products. The information and chemistry of this podcast is amazing. 
I can listen to this podcast all day if possible. I love the way you have the podcast laid out with statistics, personal input, along with other amazing information. Please don't stop what you are doing. Keep up the amazing work. So you see, people actually do like it when I say there's 100 cards per set and 50 rookie cards and 400 different parallel sets. Some people appreciate that information. So glad we can give it. I like how it says he likes the way we have the podcast laid out when in actuality, there's really no format. We just talk. Well, well, there's kind of a, there's a script, but we go off script quite a bit. So you have script. I don't have script. Well, I have talking points because otherwise I'd forget what we were going to talk about. My script is what's Sal talking about? But let me Google that real quick. Right. That's, that's yeah. That's my script. So we got Topps hockey stickers coming back. Topps now hockey oh, stickers. The album thanks. stickers haven't come out yet, and I have a theory about that because they were supposed to drop October fourth, and now it says uh, TBD on those. But the now stickers, which are print on demand, well, the first thing I'll say is they finally changed their design because they were going with the same design for 2019, 20, 2021, 21, 22, 22, 23, if I remember correctly, it was pretty much the same design, which was like, well, they don't care if, you know, they don't update the design. They don't freshen it or make it look different if it just looks the same as it did the previous year. I mean, I get that it's different subjects and different pictures on the front, but they launched on Thursday with their first six stickers. And you can probably guess what six they are. Do you want to guess what six they are? Or do you already know? If you already know, then it's no fun. The first six stickers? Yeah. I'm going to say Connor Bedard. One. Uh, Connor Bedard. Two. Um, Connor Bedard? Nope. He only has oh. two out of six, which is oh. a lot. Oh. Okay. Well, then I'll go with um, McDavid. Why? I don't know, because he's the face of the NHL now. All right, I'll, I'll just tell you. Connor Bedard, <laughs> Connor Bedard scores first point in NHL debut. Sidney Crosby, Evgeny Malkin, and Chris Letang start 18th season together, so all three of them are on one sticker. Vegas Golden Knights raise Stanley Cup banner. Austin Matthews scores 300th goal with opening night hat trick. Connor Bedard gets his first goal, and Boston Bruins start 100th season, and that one pictures David Pasternak. So those are the six. I like how I say McDavid and you're like, why? Well, why? (laughs) I mean, yes, he's the face of the NHL. Because because it's tops. Why else would they do anything? Why would they give us two Connor Bedard stickers? I mean, first assist. Oh, absolutely. So money grab. So that's what I want to mention. So now here's the thing. Top snow stickers used to be like six bucks for six stickers. I think it used to be like five ninety nine for the six stickers. And now it's eleven ninety nine for the six sticker set. You could buy a five pack of the same sticker that now costs ten bucks, and you could buy a twenty pack of the same sticker and that's thirty five dollars. So you would get like twenty of the same sticker at a slight discount. Now, one thing they're doing differently now in the past they have done gold parallels and they did like sepia tone parallels. I don't think they were actually gold, but now they're saying. They're doing ice parallels that are numbered out of 20 and gold parallels that are numbered one out of one. So think about this now. Tops now stickers have gone up in price. 
and they're going to do gold and they're doing a gold and ice parallels. So we're at this point now, like with top stickers where they're like, hey, let's capitalize on Connor Bedard because that's going to be the only reason why Sal buys 20 of these things. Well, I'm looking at it on the bright side, Mm -hmm. which is at least this is the only influence other than selling merchandise that Fanatics has on hockey so far. Mm -hmm. So hopefully we can keep it that way for a while. So there's that, but I mean that's that's really the reason. Because if you look across the board and most of what's going on in the rest of the collecting hobby for all the other sports that Fanatics has got their stranglehold on already, I mean that's kind of the case across the board. All the prices have gone up for things. It's either less cards for more money, or more money straight up for stuff that's been essentially the same price for years. So it just goes back to the fact that. Michael Rubin said he wanted to 10x the hobby. Well, he's going to 10x it by raising the price 10x. So, yeah, this hasn't gone up 10 times, but an increase in pricing for print-on-demand stickers that we've already seen from years past as we used to go through the print runs every time didn't have a whole lot of demand, but now you have this huge prospect that not just hockey fans are going after. They're going to sell these, at least for now. Until they stop making Bedard stickers. It'll be interesting to see what the print run is, how disproportionate it would be. Because you recall a while back in our show when I was giving what those numbers were each week. And I'd be like, you know, only 600 of the sticker were printed, you know. So it was funny, just the disparity sometimes. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can clearly see where the dividing line is between the players that are highly sought after versus the other guys that may have hit a milestone or whatever they're commemorating for those typical, you know, designs. Right. That nobody wants, you know. Keith Yandel breaks the Iron Man record. They sold 120 stickers. Whoop-de-doo. Right. Yeah, Connor Bedard exists. They sold 150,000 stickers. Yeah, I'd like to list a few other potential Connor Bedard tops now stickers. We could get Connor Bedard loses last baby tooth. Oh, that's a good one. We could also a, get with Connor, relic in it, like a piece uh, of the tooth. Piece of the tooth, right? No, that's, that's going under the pillow for the tooth fairy, uh, so that he gets the bonus in his contract. We could have Connor Bedard sprouts first facial hair. Connor Bedard starts dating Instagram model. I mean, we could just Ooh. yeah. There was some nonsense article about that by one of those hockey hockey feed or hockey buzz or hockey whatever that always shows up in my Facebook feed. And it's it's always these articles that take like a one sentence tweet or one sentence Instagram like photo and like one sentence and they somehow spin it into 500 words. And I, I'm guilty for clicking on it. And I'm just like, oh, brother, like I'm, he's not I'm dating convinced her. Those he's, are written by AI. They have to be because they're yeah. they're stupid. Yeah, I know. I agree. So, um, yeah, instead of an Instagram model, I would add that Travis Kelsey's going to be dumped by Taylor Swift and she's going to start dating Connor Bedard because she needs to write a song about uh-huh. a guy that can't grow facial hair or still has baby teeth. Right, right, right. And then, uh, you know, Connor Bedard rents 
condo in Chicago, buys first car. I don't know. Eats McDonald's for the first time. There we go. All right. That's that's a. Well, that's, that's right. A, he did say he never ate McDonald's before. Right. Yeah. Although I feel like that'd be more like a game dated moment than a, a, a Tops Now sticker. So I think we should segue over to Upper Deck's similar, although arguably superior print on demand. Although this isn't really a print on demand anymore program game dated moments which is every week on a friday starting this upcoming friday they'll say okay these cards are available for sale and it'll usually be tied to something that happened in hockey the previous week so it might be a debut of a player a milestone an important game or whatever so If it's a card of a veteran player, it's going to be limited to 599 copies as per their most recent email that they sent out on this. Rookie cards will be limited to 1,199. And then there will also be gold parallels that are limited to 100. They didn't say anything about silver parallels. I know in the past I've gotten a few silver parallels here and there. And what they'll do is if you get the parallel... You just get it in addition to the card that you buy. You don't get it instead of, which is nice if you're trying to build a set and you're like, oh, I got all the regular ones and then I have one gold parallel and now I have to track down the regular one. That's going to start Friday, October 20th at 9 a.m. Pacific time or noon Eastern time. Probably going to cost more than last year. I'm just guessing. Call me a, not a gambling man, but if I was, I think it's going to be more than what it was last year. And I believe last year it was like $5.99 a pack. Yeah, they were $5.99 a pack. Um, they originally, I think, were $4.99 a pack when they started back in 17. And then they went to $5.99. They've been that for a couple of years now. So it wouldn't surprise me if they went up to 6 maybe 7 well, they're already yeah. at six, you know, $5.99 and six. Is... I just meant $6.99 or so. Oh, okay. Now, I that will say that me. when they started game dated moments, um, I want to say they were $3.99 a pack, but you had to buy another pack along with it. Because right. I remember doing a deep dive on that. I did a Puck Junk blog post about that. And I said, look, this set's going to be really expensive because if you're spending $4 for a pack of game dated moments, which just has one card, and then you also have to buy a pack of cards in addition to that in order to unlock the right to buy game-dated moments. And then I, I figured out that, well, if you bought a pack of Fusion, because Fusion was $0.99 cents a pack, you're going to basically spend like $5 a card times three cards a week times, you know, 40 weeks in the regular season or whatever. You know what I mean? So now they just said, all right, well, just charge them $5.99 a pack instead of making them buy a pack that they don't necessarily want, which, all right, it is what it is. Do you remember what the first game dated moment card was? Money pack? No. I, Connor McDavid. <laughs> well, if it was what, 16, 17? No, it was 17, 18. 17, 18. Well, that makes sense, though. Yeah, it was McDavid scoring a hat trick in the opening game. Okay, you know, I remember one year, I don't know if it said this on the card or not, because I I didn't order the card, but I remember when they promoted it, it said something, it was like, Penguins Captain Sets Milestone, and I emailed Upper Deck, and I said, why don't you just say Sidney Crosby? We know who the Penguins Captain is, and it was something about Crosby's contract or something where... 
they couldn't use his name in promoting the card that pictured him. But the card was able to say Sidney Crosby when they issued it. That was just so weird. But yeah, game dated moments is is weird because they cost you like six bucks a card, but you end up getting them like way cheaper. Like people will oh, trade yeah. them to me. People will trade them to me on EPAC. I'll have like some random mid-level insert that's worth like a couple of bucks and they'll trade me like a game dated moment for it. I'm like, yeah, okay, whatever. I really didn't want that insert anyways. So cool. So that's always been the thing with EPAC. And we talk about it all the time is that EPAC, EPAC releases come out and it's great and it's cool and it's fun and all that, but they utilize ComC for their platform to distribute the cards when you actually have the physical one shipped to you. It's just, once the products hit and they're out for a while, you start to see all of that glut of competition of people trying to sell and those physical cards, you know, oh, well, this cost me $9.99 a pack or whatever. So if we're talking about game dated moments, this big card basically cost me six bucks. Are they selling it for six bucks? Maybe in the beginning, if they're the only one that has it, but then two people have it and then five people have it and then a hundred people have it. And then all of a sudden it goes down to five, then four, then three. And eventually you can find game dated moments cards under a buck. I mean, I've picked up a couple penguin ones over the years for 30 cents, 40 cents, knowing that these cards cost at least $5 to acquire the pack. People are selling them off for dirt cheap. So, I mean, and obviously it depends on the subject. You know, you go back a few years to like the 17 and the 18 sets. Obviously, the big name ones sell for a lot more. Pretty much anything that's got Connor McDavid on it is at least a few bucks, if not more. And then some of the more popular, like weird ones that they've put out, especially in 2018 when they made all the different gritty ones. Those gritty ones are 20, 30 bucks still. But... Again, if game dated moments are something to go after, because they're interesting. It's a unique set that kind of captures a snapshot of the whole season, especially if you put them together and let's say throw them in an album and let's say secretly collect them and nobody knows that you're actually secretly collecting them. I don't know who would do that, but you know, it's, it's a possibility. So, yeah, I don't actually buy game dated moment packs unless there's something serious that I really want to go after. And I think it's going to sell out. And I think there'll be no opportunity for me to buy it at a decent price outside of that. But they're definitely a cool thing. And yes, to go to your original point when you started this conversation, these are far superior to the tops stickers, in my opinion. Well, what purpose does a sticker serve if you have no place to stick it? I mean, you could stick it wherever you want. You can quote me on that, too. But, Stick it wherever you want. But, and not your butt, but when the top stickers have an album to go into, it's kind of nice. And when you're just, they're just basically, they're selling stickers because they can't sell hockey cards. So that's the only reason why we have tops Now stickers, because we can't have tops Now cards, which if we could, I'd probably be all over that, just because it's a competing product. It's tops. Maybe they would start revisiting some of their old designs as cards. I mean, 
Who wouldn't love an 88-89 tops design of Sidney Crosby? That would just be hella cool. Or uh, uh, an 87-88 of Alex Ovechkin. I don't know why I picked two consecutive years. But you get my drift, right? I mean, they do that with the top stickers, the tops album stickers. Anyway, yeah, game-dated moments. I think I bought... I know I made a point to buy the uh, Alex Ovechkin when he scored his 800th goal, but then I forgot to buy the one that they issued the following week where he scored like 802 or 803. Yeah. 802. And then moved to second all time. I like, I totally spaced on that. And then like Kane and Taves, I think playing in their, what, however many games together, that was a game dated moment. And I bought two of them, one for my Patrick Kane collection, one for my Jonathan Taves collection. Although if I was really smart, I would just have a page that had both of them because there's a couple of cards that have both of them on the same card few stickers, a few cards and stuff like that. So I like it. I wish it wasn't so expensive. Well, and we kind of glazed over or didn't even mention at all the other aspect of game dated moments, which many of the EPAC releases have, and that's the achievement side of it. Because a lot of the EPAC products are attached to some type of achievement where if you collect a certain amount or a certain type or whatever of the release, you have an opportunity to redeem for special achievement cards. So there's that aspect of it too, because you can collect the full base set. You can collect the base cards given out within a certain month to get rookie achievement cards. There's variant achievement cards for collecting all of the rookies of the month. There's even the 98.99 retro this year if you collect all the gold parallels. So you'll get a six card set of the 98.99 retro design. So if those wondering what that looked like, they were the old silver border ones that used Mm -hmm. to chip all the time. And one of the parts of that design, if you remember 98.99, they had game dated moment stamps on some of the cards throughout that set. The Yager card comes to mind where it had the little GDM silver stamp down on the bottom. So They're going back to that for an achievement design. So there is that achievement or game gambling type aspect to these as well, because it is an EPAC product. So you do have all of that as well. So, but you know, it's EPAC and EPAC does a lot of stuff. They've been kind of updating as, as we've been gearing towards the start of the season. Um, In fact, if you haven't gone out and got your uh, uh, digital promo packs yet, uh, there's there's those available. So if you like digital cards and they're free uh, each week or every, I think it's every four, three or four days for the start of the season, they're releasing a different pack. This week was the Pacific Division pack and then the Atlantic, then Central, then Metro. They're free. You can go on EPAC, hit the button, claim your product. It's a few cards. It goes right into your account. You can't send them to yourself, but they're digital. So you can look at them on your phone or your screen or your iPad, or if you can put your phone up onto your television screen, you can watch them up there. So there's there's that. Oh, we could totally do that. We could, like, we could all, like, get together, and then we could screencast our EPAC collections on the TV in my office. There you go. Um, there you go. You know, two fun facts I want to throw out about 98.99 Upper Deck since you mentioned that. And yes, what you said that and right away I thought about those silver borders that run on the left and right sides of the card that do chip easily. 
Like, yeah, let's put silver foil on the edges so that damage will show up really, really easily. The first thing about that set is I believe it's the first Upper Deck flagship set to have short prints. Because not every card was printed in the same amount like it had been in prior years where it was relatively easy to put a set together. Because you had Program of Excellence, I'm looking here on Trading Card DB, those were inserted one in every three packs, Calder Candidates, one in eight packs. So there were some short prints to that set, kind of like we ended up with, you know, Young Guns being short printed. The other thing that's kind of interesting about the set is, do you remember how the starting lineup hockey figures came with a hockey card? Yes. So the 99-2000 starting lineups came with the 98-99 upper deck card, but they did away with the silver foil. So they're like a foil-free version of the card, and then they have a starting lineup logo on them as well. But just kind of an interesting little thing that, like, they would, like, recycle the design, but they would, like, dumb it down and get rid of any foil that was on the card. Well, and if you remember the... If you ever pulled an exclusive, you know, the numbered out of 100, they were copper foil. And the copper foil, believe it or not, actually held up better than the silver. So I don't know if that's means anything or what but it seems like that was less susceptible to getting chipped up yeah the first time they do something it's always going to have problems right like i'm not saying that was the first time they did silver foil but you know when card companies experiment and try to do something new and different and then there's like long-term consequences that nobody thought about like we're seeing that with like the cards that have like the UV coating from like the early 90s. And now what are they doing? They're sticking together. They're bricking, right? Right. Bricking that is still the... a problem, but I'm just saying like 30 years ago, nobody was thinking about that or like, oh, this this gold foil is going to flake off the card or, oh, these chromium cards are going to discolor or that the clear protector that you peel off is going to damage the card i had that happen remember those steel license plate cards i think from 95 96 uh was that leaf steel or leaf preferred um yeah. and it looked like license plates i had an eric lindros one and i peeled off the wrapper or whatever you want to call it and it took some of the took some of the paint or whatever off the card and i was just like no so i had to buy another one and then that time i used a blow dryer to heat up the card Melt the glue. Melt the glue. Yeah, I got to do that, unfortunately. So, yeah. So, like, you know, when they were doing these things 30 years ago, they weren't like, hey, let's use silver foil because it's going to totally, like, fall off the card or chip or whatever, like, you know, 20 years from now. This is one of the first upper deck sects that I kind of binge purchased, too. Really? Not that we're turning this into a 98-99 discussion, but... No, go for it. Why? Why? Yeah. why? Oh, because I was... I was in college. I was a junior in college when this came out and I had jobs, plural, and money and they sold this stuff at Walmart. <laughs> so, and I worked there. So, ah. I would see it all the time. At pretty much anything from 98-99, that was like a heavy purchasing year for me. But the other thing too is I I liked the design of these even though they were kind of chippy and stuff. I liked them. And I was, I don't know, I kind of went weirdo about all of the tiered inserts. Mm -hmm. I thought that was cool. 
Not to mention that almost every product that year obviously had a ton of Gretzky tribute cards in them, little extra Gretzky sets and all that kind of stuff. Like this one had the uh, Year of the Great One yes. cards, and there were the horizontal ones that had like a picture of them and then kind of gray on the side. But the, there were tier ones and tier twos and tier threes, and it was like, wow, I got to try to get those. I got to try to get these. I got to get the profile tiers and get the Stanley Cup hero tiers and all of that. And I was never really successful at pulling many of those. I don't think I bought any. No, I, I know for a fact that I didn't buy any hockey cards in 98, 99. Well, I made up for it. Trust me. At that point, I was a toy collector, like 100% all in on toy collecting. And I want to say the last hockey cards I bought for a while, I want to say I bought some 97, 98 score. And I want to say it was like I bought a box pretty cheap. And it, it might have been a 96, 97 score. I can't remember. It's like, but I want to say it was like summer of 97 was maybe the last time I bought some hockey cards and then summer. Yeah. And then, and then, I, yeah, that was about it. And then, and then by then I was like, I was kind of collecting both like star Wars figures and hockey cards at the same time for a while. Cause I remember like 95, 96, 96, 97, I was kind of buying both. And then by like 97, 98, 98, 99, I was in college and I was, you know, like, I had friends who were also into like collecting toys. So that became my collecting passion for a while. I mean, I was really big into the star Wars figures. So I remember in 2000 buying a pack of hockey cards or I think it was like two, it was weird. Remember upper deck vintage. Yeah. So upper deck, it was like two packs of upper deck vintage and they were like on a blister card together and it was like four ninety nine, and first I was like, "Oh, hockey cards! That's amusing. Haven't seen those in a while." And like five dollars for two packs, this is craziness. But ah, what the heck? I'll buy it. And I was probably buying like a bunch of like Gundam figures or something at the time, and I probably just threw that in, you know, just kind of threw it in and opened it, and I was just like, you know, not. I didn't really start collecting again until like. Early 2000s, I started kind of collecting backwards with like old stuff. And then 0506 is when I started collecting the new stuff. But yeah, I like totally missed out on 98, 99, 99, 2000, 2000, 2001. Like all those years, I just, it's like I took a nap from card collecting. I'm surprised you don't remember which score it was that you bought. Because 97 were the ones with like the letters looked like neon signs on the side. Mm-hmm. And 96 were the one I call them the file folder design where it's like boxed off, but there's like part of it like tabbed up like a file folder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, it was, uh, it was 97, 98 then okay. with the, yeah. with the text on the sides. Yeah. I'm still um, chasing down some team set versions of those. I know. So that's an interesting little tidbit. So 97, 98 score which now we're totally off on a tangent here, but this is interesting, folks. It's all right. It's a hockey card show. There was the set that you got in packs, but then there were also team sets that used the same design but had more cards. So it's almost like an extended edition because I have the Red Wings set, which has like 20 or 22 
cards. I mean, it even, I want to say it even has like their third string goalie. I mean, it had like everybody. Yeah. I don't know what the deal was. Were those sold in the team stores or I don't think they were a mail away. I don't know. I think they were available in the team stores. I almost thought that they were like arena giveaways, but it turns out they weren't. Somebody told me this before that they weren't. So Mm -hmm. I'm not sure. You know, it could be that they were sold in like those blister packs in the regional Mm -hmm. areas of the teams where you could buy the team sets. Right. Most of the time when they make those, though, they're the same. They're like exactly the same. It's just all of the team cards pulled out and put together. But you're right. They would have the same kind of design to them, but some of them have different numbers than the what they are in the base set. Mm-hmm. And the vast majority of them have extra players that aren't in the normal set. So I guess there were also some full sheets that were mm-hmm. issued at games of these that are perforated because I've seen those too. Mostly I've only seen Dallas Stars ones, so I'm not sure on other teams, but I know there's at least one of those. Well, Score Pinnacle Brands was based in Texas, so they seem to do a lot of Dallas-type stuff. Like, I know they did, like, um, they did some oversized, I want to say they were, like, 4x6 or 5x7. Like, remember the uh, Magic Motion cards, the sports flicks? Yeah. There's like a like a, a large sports flicks Mike Madano card that they did, I think, as a giveaway. So there's a few Dallas things that they've done in the past or Dallas only things, I guess, just because it was in right in their backyard. It didn't hurt that they were good at that point in time either. The stars winning cups and stuff. Yeah. I want to talk about the eBay policy that's changing on card listings. And I like this policy and I'm just going to summarize it really quick. So starting, I think it's October 23rd. So all cards that are listed need to either specify if they are graded or ungraded. All right, that's the first part. If it's a graded card, the graded card listing has to specify the grading company and the grade that it received. Those are required. The certification number is optional. If it's an ungraded card, it must specify the condition. So the seller has to specify the condition as being either near mint or better, excellent, very good, or poor. And eBay gives like this chart for reference on which card grade you should pick. Sorry, not grade, condition. And then they're they're giving people a little bit of like leeway for like if they have like existing card listings, like especially people who have like thousands of cards listed. I mean, they're giving them a little time to get them updated. I... We'll tell you two things I like about this. I like the fact that it it's going to be graded or ungraded, like you're you're classifying that right away. Because, I mean, usually when a card is graded, it says it anyways. But I think anything that just kind of helps with the filtering process is better. I like that if it's an ungraded card, that sellers are required to give it a condition. Because I am so freaking tired of see pictures for condition or judge for yourself see pictures and judge for yourself 
I am not a professional grader. So please look at the pictures and let me know if you have any questions. Well, okay, that's fine. I like that. Let me know if you have any questions. But what the seller is doing is they're basically saying, hey, look at the pictures and figure it out yourself. If you didn't see that crease, well, it's in the picture. You should have seen it. You should have said something. As we both said at a show, you can pick up a card. You can hold it in your hand. You can look at it. You can whip out your magnifying glass. You can really scrutinize the corners when you're looking at pictures. Pictures don't always tell the whole story. You know, you have to look very hard at pictures. So I like the fact that sellers are required to give a condition on ungraded cards. However, I do think for graded cards that they should have to list the certification number. Of course, that might also cause some problems, but I think if you're selling a graded card, you should be able to say, yup, and here's that serial number or that certification number, and maybe even have that click and go to the page on the BGS website or the PSA website that shows you that card. So. That's my opinion. Love to know your take on this, though. All right. First thing, grading and ungraded, those were already options. I mean, most things that I always would look at generally would choose one or the other as part of the listing. Even back in the old days when I used to use a bulk lister and actually put stuff on eBay, my bulk listing program that I had even had that as an option to click graded or ungraded. So that's nothing really new. Requiring people to use it, though, is new. Now, I don't have a problem. If you have a graded card and you mark it, yes, this is graded. Here it is. It's a BGS whatever. It's a PSA whatever. It's a CSG whatever. That's fine. That should be required. I agree that the certification number should also be on there. You can avoid a lot of fraud by forcing that. But then again, you can create more fraud because of it. That's why I think you said it could cause more problems. Yes, absolutely. So I could see that, you know, maybe if it's something. Yeah, I don't even know how you could regulate. I was going to say maybe if somebody's fully interested in the card, there's another level they could get to to find out what that is to do more research on their own. I don't know. I don't know what the answer is that. But for the ungraded, I think we're going to differ in opinion here because just like you're not a grader. I'm not a grader either. And if I'm selling the card, why wouldn't I put something that says, look, I'm not a grader, so I think it's near mint. Here's a picture. Look at it. You tell me. Now, sure, pictures don't give everything. Exactly. You hold a card in your hand, you're going to see a lot more than you do with a photo. And, of course, if somebody has an iPhone and they take an iPhone picture, you know, that's not going to look the same as somebody that has an Android and takes an Android picture. I mean, clearly Android have higher resolution pictures. It's a fact. Um, if you take a regular camera and if you take a scanner, I mean, it depends on what you scan the resolution at. So you're going to see certain things. The lighting, it's going to change. So that could be different. But just on the surface, the seller's not a grader, the buyer's not a grader. My opinion is it's near mint. Your opinion is it might be less than that. You might see something. You might see a little tiny thing on it. I mean, look at how many people look at these Chrome cards with a loop and they're like, oh, well, there's a dent over here on this side and there's a little bubble over here and there's this over here. I wouldn't normally see that, nor would I probably care. 
But the problem is the buyers on the other end are looking for that. They're looking, oh, I can get this $200 card for 50 bucks and I can send it off for grading and it's going to become a $1,000 card. Well, okay. But again, that's your end goal is to have it graded. So save yourself some time and just buy one that's already graded because this is going to cause a lot of headaches because what's eBay going to do when you have a seller saying that something is in mint and you have a buyer saying that something is near mint, do they become the arbitrary third party and do their own grading? Do you have to send it to their grading service and they have to come up with some kind of rock hard grade to bridge the gap between the dispute may i interject here yes you can they actually I haven't so, read it and if it's in there tell me no but the four categories and this is what i like is that it's near mint or better excellent very good or poor so we're not getting into that gem mint mint near mint plus near mint minus x mint dichotomy right x mint i haven't heard of that one Right, exactly, right? So we're not we're not getting into that that whole gamut of grades, right? It's it's either near mint or better. You and I can look at a card and say it's near mint or better, right? We send cards to each other all the time. We trade you and I trade cards all the time. I'd say they're near mint or better. We pull them from a pack. They might have a little imperfection because maybe they didn't come out of the pack perfectly, but they're near mint or better. We know that like that's what most new cards are going to fall under that category, right? Excellent, very good, and poor. That's when we're getting into older cards, right? So I feel like this works because you're basically saying, hey, you know what? It's near mint or better. Is it mint? Is it gem mint? Is it gem mint 10 gradable? I don't know. It's a near mint or better card, right? I just got it in a pack, dude. Get off my back. I don't know if it's going to grade a 10. It's near mint or better. And I think that's okay. I think that's a really okay thing to say. You're not putting the pressure on the seller to guarantee, oh, this is a mint card. This is a gem mint card. This is an X mint card. Sometimes I don't know the difference between near mint and X mint. I mean, I do, but do I really? I don't know. You know, to me, it's just like if I like the way the card looks, I buy it. (laughs) I know, such a crazy idea. Buy the card, not the grade. And that's really what this boils down to. And it's something that we go back to all the time. I mean, here, with that explanation, fine. If that's what you're going to do and you're going to open up the definition of these, open up the barn doors and and it's wide open, then okay, fine. Because really, at that point then, what does it mean? If you're saying it's near mint or better, in the grading world, near mint or better, isn't that like eight and up? Right. Okay, so if you're at that level, well, depending on your grading comment, you have an 8, you have an 8.5, you have 9, you have 9.5, you have 10, you have 10 pristine. So in a grading world, heck, that encompasses six, seven different grades, right? So fine, if that's going to be the wide open definition, I'm good with that. goes back to kind of what I experience all the time in my industry that I work in is grades on real estate. You know, when you grade something, an A grade or a B grade or a C grade or a D grade, and there's all half grades in between, like a plus or a plus one or a plus two, and it's all subjective. All of it's subjective, you know. 
your A might be my A minus just because of one simple thing. Like inside somebody's house, like they have cabinetry that looks really nice to you, but to me is like, eh, it's a little old and dated. So I might put the minus. You might leave it as a as a just normal. So it's all subjective. I mean, all of this stuff is subjective. I don't like forcing buyers and sellers to come up with a grade, but if it's the way you're explaining it, where it's wide open like that, and eBay is going to essentially err on the side of it is what it is rather than nitpick to death, then I'm okay with it. But if it's how I originally set out and like they're going to be this arbitrator in between and go in with a fine tooth comb and be like, oh, well, there's a little printer's mark over here on the side that you could only see with an electron microscope. I'm not on board with that. Let's put it that way. I think that with getting back to the graded card discussion, because now we have a problem where people are breaking cards out of slabs, reslabbing them and using a forged slab label or taking a slab label and then reusing it on a card that it wasn't originally graded with. That's a problem. So forgery is a problem. And now I start to worry about this thing. Like when I'm at a show and people come to me and they have graded cards and they're like, I want to sell you this graded card. Like this one guy wanted to sell me a graded, uh, what was it? It was an 0506 Alex Ovechkin young gun. And I don't think the card was a forgery. The guy didn't look like he was selling forged cards. It was just out of my price range. Like what he wanted to sell me the card for and what I wanted to pay for the card was too wide of a gap. But now I'm I'm starting to think about this thing because before if somebody came to me with like a McDavid young gun, PSA 9 or PSA 10 or whatever, and I'd look at it because it's in that graded slab with that label, I would just say, all right, it's a real card. It's It's really that grade, whatever, right? And now I'm starting to have my doubts on that. And now I'm even having my doubts on like if somebody's selling a card online. I mean, how many times have we seen people on Twitter saying this person is selling this card on eBay? They're selling a graded card that they don't own or they're selling a graded card, but it's fake because if you look up this number, it doesn't exist on the PSA registry. I mean, we don't maybe see this every day, but we've seen this a few times now, right? I it's more than every day. Let's put it that way. It happens a lot. You see it on Twitter. You see it on Instagram. You see it on pretty much Facebook all day long. They talk about it on the forums. I mean, there's various other, you know, trading card media type people that expose this and bring it up all the time that are out there with various YouTube videos showing the intricacies of every listing these people have ever put out there and, you know, here's all the cards by comparison showing that stuff has sold before and it's in the wrong slab and this, that, and the other. It happens all the time because guess what? There's money to be made and people are going to take the risk to try to make the money. And grading just adds that whole nother level. And you're right. Somebody brings a card up to you. You look at it. It's in a slab. Okay, it must be real. Yeah, no. There could be all sorts of issues with that and all of the red flags that you brought up. These are all things that I've been thinking for ever. So I'm glad you're finally shifting over to the dark side <laughs> to my stoner negativity. <laughs> okay. I got to clue people in. So somebody said uh, they left a comment about uh, 
the last podcast, and they just said, I miss Tim's stoner negativity, which yeah. is a compliment, is awesome. right? Well, they're half right, so there you go. Right. Okay, so moving on, just want to talk a little bit about action figures. I know I mentioned Star Wars figures earlier, but the new NHL sports picks figures by McFarlane Toys. So, as you know, there's the regular versions. There's the Chase variants, which they're calling the Platinum Editions, which is kind of funny because then they're making these other versions called the Gold Label Edition, which are actually harder to find. So I'm going to talk about this latest offering. So Connor McDavid Gold Label Edition with Special Edition Jersey is the figure. So it is a McDavid figure. It's basically a repaint, but it's McDavid in the 22-23 reverse retro jersey, which is basically the oil drop jersey that Todd McFarlane co-designed when he, yeah. you know, he co-designed that logo. As you may or may not know, Todd McFarlane used to be a minority owner of the Edmonton Oilers. And then when he was one of the owners, he said, we need to have a different logo. And he made that third jersey logo with the gear and the oil drop. So anyways... It's Connor McDavid in the reverse retro oil drop jersey. The figure is numbered out of 2001 pieces. It's $80. And the backdrop behind the figure is autographed by Todd McFarlane. Nice. Which I was seeing people kind of flame it a little on Facebook. They're like, wait, why is it signed by Todd McFarlane and not Connor McDavid? I would want a Connor McDavid figure that's signed by Connor McDavid or has the base signed by Connor McDavid. A lot of people get like the old McFarlane figures, they'd get the base signed or, you know, now they have these backdrops, which are, I'm assuming cardboard, you know, like a picture of the player, but signed by Todd McFarlane. So, yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, the answer of why McDavid didn't sign it because it's not made by upper deck. Right. Yeah. It's so, a good point. Yeah. It's a great so anybody- point. Anybody that's asking the question obviously doesn't or isn't aware of his exclusive signing contract for memorabilia and products and cards and all of that. It would also increase the price a lot. Oh, it would. Absolutely. But I don't know. It just seems kind of like here is an action figure of this person, but it's signed by someone else. I get it. McFarlane's the creator of McFarlane Toys, and he kind of co-created that look that got used on the reverse retro jersey. So, Think of it this way. It's like buying a painting of a Campbell soup can signed by Andy Warhol. Would you rather have it signed by Brian Campbell? No. Right. So It's signed by the artist, not the subject. Oh. But you said a Campbell soup can, but then you said yeah. Brian Campbell. And Brian I Campbell. assume you mean the Blackhawks. Because Black yes. And he's a Campbell soup. So yeah. there you go. Yeah. It's not the subject. It's the artist. Yeah. So anyway, so 80 bucks numbered out of 2001. That being the year that McFarland started making its NHL sports picks figures the previous year they weren't licensed by the nhl they were just licensed by the players association so 2001 is kind of i guess the year they're going with although i still remember those 2000 figures and i thought they were pretty awesome 
You remember those? Yeah, I remember them. Yeah, no, I, I thought they were nice. But anyway, moving on. Black Diamond, 2022-23. Black Diamond Hockey Cards. So, the skinny on Black Diamond. The price at launch was $250 a box. Now it's down to about $235 a box. You get six premium hockey cards per box. It's Upper Deck's words, not mine, although they are premium, I will say that. So every box contains one autographed or non-autographed diamond relic card, one base set or a red, blue, green, or gold base set parallel, one exquisite collection card, and then three regular insert tech or non-auto slash exquisite collection memorabilia cards. So there's a lot going on there. So you might get an autograph. You might not get an autograph. You might get this. You might get that. So there's kind of a lot of, you know, maybe, maybe not sort of things. Uh, I guess autographs aren't a guaranteed thing anymore. So the set, 60 veterans, 10 legends, and 30 rookies make up the 100 card, calling it the base set. I mean, that's what they're calling it. And those are numbered out of 349. And that's like the set, although it's not numbered sequentially, one, two, three, they just have like weird numbers like BD dash and then like the initials of the player or whatever. On top of that, there's the Diamond Relic Rookies. There's a total of 112 different insert sets. And then there's 13 different parallel sets, including base gold parallels that are numbered out of one, green, which are numbered out of 10, blue, which are numbered out of 25, Red, which are numbered out of 75, and some of the inserts, which we'll talk about. And I did get a box, and it's pretty cool. I mean, if you're into that sort of thing, maybe I'm not that much of a hit chaser. I'm more of a set builder. So it's maybe not 100% for me, but, you know, I like nice cards, too. You get an autograph or you get a nice jersey card. I mean, what's not to like about that? Building this from boxes is impossible. I'll just say it. No one's going to do that. Yes, no one will do that. Building this on your own, outside of that, buying individual, if you wanted to build this, I'm going to also say is impossible. Now, I'll put that in quotation marks. Because if there is some ambitious soul out there that wanted to do so, I'm sure they could figure it out. But that's a lot. I mean, especially if you're going to go through all 157 and bypass just the 100 base base you know the ones numbered bdb where it's Mm -hmm. black diamond base you know once you get into the bdrs which are the relics you know those are technically part of the base set but they're much lower print count with all the base ones at 99 and you're not going to see them as often especially when you get into the doubles triples and and uh the two quads that are out there so i don't know man this is a hit product I wouldn't even call this a base product. They use the word, but I wouldn't use the word. Right, yeah. So, I mean, this is just one of those sets that, I don't want to say no one's going to build the base set, but... You don't have to. I said it. (laughs) Well, no, but, you know, the only time I built a base set, and that was like 16, 17 UD Black, and I think there were only like, was something odd, like 40 
nine cards or 50 cards or something. And most of those I was able to pick up for a couple bucks each. I think one, I think like, uh, let's see, 16, 17. So that would have been McDavid's second year. I think that one probably cost me 20 or $30. And I think everything else was like a couple of bucks. But again, that was like 50 cards. That wasn't counting any of the rookie cards, which would have been a lot harder to get because you had Austin Matthews that year. So as far as this set goes, some of the insert cards that I got, well, I did get one base card of Quinn Hughes, which is numbered out of, as we said, 349. And they're a little bit thicker than normal cards. They're kind of shiny. You know, they have like the shiny foil behind him. You know, they got the gold stamped serial number on on the side. They look like they're multi-layered, but they're really not. It's just they got foil and then there's like an edge where it doesn't have any foil on it. I did get an exquisite card. I got an exquisite rookies of Kent Johnson numbered out of 349. Also uses shiny foil behind him. Kind of a nice card. I mean, these are nice looking cards. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to say they are nice. The design of that looks like the MVP Dominion card. Yeah, it does. That's weird. Uh, with With the shiny background. Yeah. I got an insert called Diamond Might. It's a thick card. It has some like clear acetate and it has like a geometric pattern in the acetate that the player is next to. And I got Alex Ovechkin, so I can't ever complain when I get an Ovechkin, an Ovechkin insert card or some sort of OV card. You know what I mean? Because OV is OV. So I look at that and I go, that's nice. But then I go, why isn't it numbered? But okay, I get it. You know, they can't number everything. I got a Sidney Crosby Diamond Mind Relics card, also not numbered. Mercifully, it's not a white swatch. It's a black swatch, so that's cool. Crosby Relic can't beat that. Even if it was white, that's okay, because it would look good on this design, because it kind of has a design that would lend itself to either a black jersey piece or a white jersey piece, and that's that's what I like. I mean, I'll never get over that... um, what was it? It was in Artifacts. It was in an artifact set I broke earlier this year. And it was like an Anje Kopitar jersey card. And it was a white swatch. And it was superimposed over his legs. And he was wearing a white jersey. So at like first glance, you almost didn't see the jersey swatch. Because he was in front of the boards, which were white. And he was wearing his white socks. And then, like, the jersey piece was put over it. So it didn't stand out at all. You know what I mean? Like, this at least stands out a bit. So a Crosby and an OV in the same box. That's pretty cool. The fifth card I got was Thomas Bordelo. Rookie Gems, numbered out of 399. Also shiny. Everything is shiny. Or almost everything is shiny. I hope this kid pans out. I don't know where he is right now, but I seem to get him a lot in in packs of 22-23 product. He's a decent prospect. Fortunately, he's stuck on the Sharks, but it's all right. Yeah, and then the last card I got, and this was definitely the best card, so it was a Team Logos Jumbos of Owen Power numbered out of 49. Oh, that one's cool. Yeah, so got a little headshot of the player which is okay, because it's really about the big Buffalo Sabres logo manufactured patch. And then you have a sticker autograph, which is actually a nice-looking autograph. Owen Power has a nice autograph. He adds his jersey number. It's a nice-looking card. 
His autograph looks nice. It's on a sticker, but the sticker isn't like overly distracting. I think as long as you get one card like this in a box, not necessarily of like a stud prospect or a young star player, but as long as you get like one cool card or decent card, even if you're not sure about the player, because they can't always be Owen Power or Maddie Beneers or Shane Wright <laughs> or Jake Sanderson or Marco Rossi. Actually, now I'm going through the list of some of the rookies that you can get in the Diamond Relic rookie set. It's not necessarily a set I would like buy a case of and case break or a couple boxes of. I probably bought Black Diamond back in the day when it was a more low-end product. But honestly, we don't need it to be another low-end chrome product or mid-tier chrome product because we already have like OPT Platinum and Skybox Metal. So it's kind of not necessary. But it's a nice set if you like chasing these types of cards. Yeah, and it's certainly something that you're going to put together if you're a, either a player collector or a team collector. You'd, you'd want to pick up some of these. I mean, the exquisite cards are are highly sought after all the time. You'll see pretty high resale prices on those individually, especially of some of the really good rookies or the vets and legend cards. But I'll pick these up on occasion for my Penguins collection, but you're right. Since they stopped producing this as a regular normal set with actual real base cards and you know that kind of thing i haven't partaken in black diamond very much other than buying some individual i've never opened a box since it went to an all premium product let's put it that way let me ask you a question with your team collection do you put those in binders or album pages usually or no absolutely all right now let me ask you what do you do when you have these cards that are thicker like some are a little thicker and they'll still fit in a pocket page like the base card i can fit in a penny sleeve so i know it'll fit in the pocket page but what do you do with like the thicker ones then aren't do, do you get frustrated by that like oh it's a crosby card and it won't fit in a nine pocket page what do you do that is a good question and basically my process is so you have to understand first how these binders are set up Right now, currently, I have my team binder set up by manufacturer. So all of my penguins, so if it's an upper deck base, upper deck product, I know I could say upper deck and that's every hockey card nowadays, but the base upper deck products have their own binders. Opeachy has its own binders, tops, own binders, you know, so on and so forth. So everything is broken down by year. So you know, whatever it is, either front to back, back to front, however I do it. So if I get to a set where it is something that's not going to fit, I put placeholders in those spots. And I'll say like, okay, if this is the black diamond, 22, 23 black diamond, and there's, you know, for argument's sake, let's say there's 100 penguins cards in the black diamond set. Well, am I going to put you know, 12 empty pages in there for all the black diamond cards? Probably not. I may place one page in there, mark it as this is 22, 23 black diamond. And if I have the card, 
I'll put on like a post-it note or something, which card I have. And then I have a box that has, you know, bigger, thicker cards in it, memorabilia cards, you know, bigger autos, that kind of stuff. I have a, a, another box for those, but I'll put where it is in my collection. So if I'm flipping through there, I know where to go to actually find it. So I'll say it's in Penguin's box two or whatever. That's how I do it. Interesting. Yeah, that you keep your player collection or your team collection, but then you kind of put like a little note and say this card can be found in this box or whatever. Yeah, and you know, same goes for other things that wouldn't fit, whether it's a card that doesn't fit or something else. Like for instance, I have 6970, uh, a player that's in a wall display. Mm -hmm. I have the card, but it's in a wall display. So I have in that spot in the album, I have a little sticker that says it's in my wall display. So I know that, oh, I can look up there and be like, oh, there it is. It's right there in my wall display. Or my Bill Guerin binder, for instance. Well, I have multiple binders. I have some cards that in the late 90s, early 2000s, in the game pre-slabbed cards. Like it mm -hmm. came slabbed. I yeah, have a yeah, couple I like those. that. Obviously, that's not going to fit in a binder. So the spot in the pages, because I have them all in order, the spot in the pages where that would go, I mark this is in a slab, it's in this box. So that's just how I do it to kind of keep it somewhat organized. Interesting. Yeah. Cause like I said, I never know what to do with that. Like I have like all my Chris Chelios cards in a binder, but then I have like a certain amount of cards that are too thick to be put in a page or they're maybe a little too premium and I don't want to put them in a page. So then I just, you know, I have them in a box, you know, a player collection box. But yeah, I always just wondered about that sort of thing. I mean, I've seen people do that also with like sets of cards where they'll take the Lemieux rookie out of their 8586 OPC set that's in pages and put a little note and say like the rookie card is in a box under my bed or whatever. And that's the key really is to designate where you can find it. Because if you just put on there, like, this is this card and I have it, then the question becomes later on when you forget where you put everything, oh, I do have this, but where? Where is it? And then you have to go searching because you have no clue. That's yeah. why I always make sure I write that. Like, it's in box two or box five or whatever. Right. So if you ever have amnesia, you can easily figure out what you have in your collection and where it is. Right. No, that's cool. Looking at eBay, I kind of wanted to actually look up what some of these cards are selling for. So looking at some of the uh, some of the high sales, Maddie Beneers, Black Diamond Futures, RPA numbered out of 25, sold for $1,200. Nice. And we got here another Maddie Beneers team logo, uh, Jersey or team logo jumbos sold for $837. Slavkovsky, uh, UD Black Diamond Super Short Print Rookie Team Logo Four Patch Auto numbered seven out of ten went for $622.50. Black Diamond Pator Kochetkov, the Canes goalie, auto one of one went for $610. So you got a couple, you know, here's an OV card that went for $610. 
So these are up here, and then I just want to give the opposite. So just looking at the low end of sales prices, here's a Sidney Crosby three stars numbered BD-34 that sold for one penny plus 22 cents shipping. I have no idea how the seller made any money off of that. Uh, here's an Andrew Cop sparkling scripts auto that sold for one penny and $5.25 shipping. And I'll give you one more. Lucas Dostal debut relics jersey that sold for one penny and free shipping. Jeez. Yeah. So all these penny auctions. I need to get I me know. some of those. I don't know how, like, I get it. You're putting it at a penny so that people are attracted to it. But I figured this out a long time ago. If somebody would pay a penny for a card, they're probably going to pay a dollar for the card if it's something they're looking for on eBay, right? Or even at a show. I guess if they're looking for that card, it's a buck. So if, you lo if you're at a show and you see a card that you know you need for your collection and it's a buck, you'll probably say, okay, here's a buck. You won't be like, well, I can find it on eBay for a penny right now. Yeah. Now, obviously, if you're trying to fill a bunch of commons or buy a bunch of commons to fill a base set, you're not going to pay a dollar a card because they're commons, right? But if it's something like an autograph or a rookie card or a jersey card or something, you'll pay a buck or a couple bucks for it. So I just don't get how people do that. Like, So let me you know, ask you this. You're, you you're, you're a seller at the show and you have the you know, you have the docile rookie sitting in your case and you have it marked at 50 bucks and somebody comes up to you and says, last one sold for 23 cents. What do you do? I Do you punch them? Do you kick them? Or do you hit them with a two by four? Okay. Which one? So, Those are your choices. Oh, wow. Punch them, kick them, or hit them with a two by four. Well, I don't have a two by four at my booth. And usually I'm on the other side of a table, so I couldn't reach them anyway. So... That's why I, you need the two by four. Oh, I see. Okay. Yeah. Just grab a game used hockey stick. There you go. No, you know what? My inner voice says, oh, you should have bought it for 23 cents. But my outer voice says, well, I can't go that low. Like I had a card and I think I had it priced at like maybe $40. And this guy's like, well, last one sold on eBay for $23. And I said, well, I can't go $23 on this card. And then he just walked away. Like, he didn't even want to negotiate. Like, and I would have, but some people, they just, I, I don't get, you know, like I had a card tagged at 40 bucks and somebody's like, can you go 20? And I'm like, dude, that's not, that. that's that's half. Like, that's literally half of what I'm asking for on it. And I know I can get $40 for, well, how about 30? And it's just like, no, you, you know what I mean? Like, and then just like yeah. walked away. Have you have you ever watched Pawn Stars like at all? <laughs> That's what I want to tell people. <laughs> Best I can do is twenty three cents. Yeah, I'd be like, if you can come up to a quarter, it's yours. And then they'll be like, yeah, deal. And I'll be like, just kidding. Get get the moving. Yeah, um, you know, <laughs> as long as we're talking about shows, I'd like to actually end our show with the discussion about some of the guests that are going to be signing at the Sports Card Expo because they've added another five guests over the past two weeks. I don't know if you've kept up with this. Please. They're going to have everybody there. Well, I know we talked about Larry Robinson, Lanny McDonald, and Wendell Clark. I don't know if you're aware that they added Bernie Perrant, Patrick Laleem, and Stefan Richet. Um, 
I didn't see that. Okay, so that was a couple weeks ago, uh, or maybe three weeks ago. And then, like, two weeks ago, they added Brian McCabe, Matthew Knees, and Joseph Wall. I did see that one. And then, most recently, they added Vincent Damfus and Les Binkley. I did not see that. I'd love yeah. to have Les Binkley's autograph. Well, I know someone going to the show. Maybe they can help you with that. Maybe. Anyway, yeah. So, okay, so check this out, right? Joseph Wool's autograph, $49. Matthew Knees, I hope I'm saying his name right, spelled like knives without a V, K-N-I-E-S, $79. Brian McCabe, $39. Les Binkley, $23. Vincent Damfus, $45. And I guess the point I'm trying to get at is that these prices are so out of whack. You have these guys who played when there were only like 12 teams and they're charging $23 an autograph. You have a guy who is a Stanley Cup winner, an all-star game MVP, and he's charging $45. And then you have a dude who is like on the Maple Leafs. I get it, but he's a new player and yeah, he's charging that's, $79. Right. Uh, that's, that's where your discrepancy is, is. These are these are new players fresh in people's heads. I believe it's Matthew Nyes is how you nice. say his name. Okay. Um, like Nyes. Okay. I, I mean, he's an up-and-coming prospect, and he's pretty darn good. Okay. Well, uh, so far, five games, zero goals. So, go on. Then you go with Wall, who was free at the National. Right. <laughs> so... But, you know, Wall, again, has is, is been given a pretty pretty good opportunity in goal for, for Toronto, too. So these are current players. Kids are going to know them that watch the games. Current fans are going to know them as they watch the games. So they could capitalize on those names because they're more well-known. And let's face it, we're the old geezers when it comes to this kind of stuff. We know the Hall of Famers. We know the old guys a lot of the younger generation just doesn't understand or know the history of the NHL. It's sad, but it's the reality. And I think it's like that in a lot of sports. You get younger NFL fans, they know nothing about players that played prior to like 2005. Right. You you get same thing in, in basketball, you know, other than Michael Jordan, you know, you start talking about guys in the eighties, even seventies. And they're like, they have no clue. So it's even more so like that, I think, in hockey. And where those guys would be normally in our sphere of relevancy versus these up-and-coming prospects, I think they're trying to capitalize more on the here and now. That would be my guess. Well, it's the promoter that sets the price. When they say, like, courtesy of whatever sports or courtesy oh, of sure. whatever, they're the ones who set the price. But then again, it's the player because – how it works is they'll say, hey, how much to come and sign autographs for 90 minutes or 60 minutes? And then the player will say, I, you know, this is what my fee is, right? And then they'll take that fee. They'll think, okay, how many autographs do we think we can get in a 90-minute span? You know, I mean, of course, they're trying to make money. But if it's somebody who played a long time ago that maybe isn't in the Hall of Fame, maybe wasn't an all-star, and maybe has limited appeal, they might ask for less money you know what i mean that's like when you go to like a local card shop and they have like a guy who played on you know might have played on an mlb team but you know he was a respectable player but he wasn't like he's not like a hall of fame player 
and then you know the autograph's only like 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever and and i think everybody wins with that i'm not complaining i mean honestly i'm looking at this and there's like so many autographs i want to get but it's just a money thing obviously because i look and i go oh man patrick lalim i'd love to have an autograph from him you know i don't know if i have anything signed by him i think i might have like a Blackhawk team issued card signed by him, but if not, maybe now's the time for me to get that signed. Stefan Richet, Vincent Damfus. I mean, I think about them with the Canadians in like the 80s and early 90s. I mean, they're awesome players. I look at Stefan Richet for $35 and I'm just like, wow, that's good. Or like Wayne Cashman is another one that's signing. And I'm like thinking like, what card would I want to get signed? Or like Jerry Cheevers is another one. And I'm thinking about maybe getting his rookie card signed because it's that horizontal card, you know, from 68, 69. 68, yeah. There's a lot of room for an autograph on that card. So that yes, would look pretty is. nice. Yeah. Oh. When I'm thinking of Cheevers cards, I think of all of those side shot profile cards that in the game always used with his mask and all that. Those mm-hmm. would kind of look nice signed also. Yeah. And then I actually, I have already have my less Binkley rookie card. I'm not sure if this is his rookie card, but it's the one I'm probably going to get signed. It's also from 68, 69. Yeah, I'd love a Binkley autograph. That's one I don't have. That'd be kind of cool to get. I have Patrick Olim card signed. Those were not that hard to come about back in the day. Um, Was he the type that would sign after a game? um, Well, I don't have one like in person. I have certified ones. Oh, yeah. Manufacturer certified ones with Penguin uniform. I have those. Well, because he came into the league right around the time they started doing, like, be a player where you'd get, like, one autograph per pack and stuff like that. So the one I have in my display case of his is the be a player pinnacle one, the gold die cut that says link to history, I think. Mm-hmm. I have that yes. one signed. That's the one I have in my display case. But I have a display case of goalie penguin goalie autographs. Nice. Les Binkley is not one of the ones in there. And I would, how did he, there, how did he, there's a spot for him. How did he elude you for so long? Because, again, he's an older player. He doesn't do, from what I can tell, he doesn't do a lot of autograph signings. And really, there's not that many certified autos of him out there. But I do have, like, behind me, I have a picture of him. And he's up on the wall in my great Penguin player mm-hmm. thing. And, yeah, Binkley, for those wondering why I'm, like, going crazy over Les Binkley. He was the Penguins' first goalie. First goalie in uh, franchise history. First yeah. starting goalie. By first goalie, I meant first goalie ever. So there you go. Let's see here. 67-68. Yeah, well, he had 54 games, and Hank Basson had 25 games that year. And, yeah, Basson uh, was the backup. Yeah. Anyway. So for a Penguin collector, that's a good player historically to have. Yeah, you know, I'm thinking, you know, I mean, it's a a four-day show. So it's practically almost as long as the National because you got your four-hour preview night on Thursday and you got Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and I think Sunday goes to like 5 o'clock. So, you know, there's four days for them to slot autographs, you know, versus like, say, a a two-day show or even a three-day show. You look and you go, wow, 30 people, that's a lot. But when it's over four days... I mean, of course, the National, they have, you know, over five days, but they have like over 100 people. But I'm glad that they keep adding people and I'm glad that they keep adding guys that are a little more affordable because would I love a Wendell Clark autograph? Well, Wendell Clark's 55 bucks, but 
You know, and then I look at like Dave Keon. I mean, heck yeah, that'd be awesome. But then $169 and I go, Again. yeah, that's kind of just out of my, that's out right. of my league. And they're capitalizing on the fact that he's arguably the greatest Toronto Maple Leaf ever. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Hall of Famer and that kind of thing. And let's be honest, some of these guys, they're no spring chickens. So, right. Not to be doom and gloom, but, you know. The thing is, is that like, I don't want to spend $1,000 or even $500 or even $200 getting autographs at this show because I would enjoy adding more cards to my collection than what a squiggle of ink would do for me. You know what I mean? So like how much enjoyment you'll get out of the thing. But I remember like back in the early 90s, like I remember like a Chicago show and they had like all of these guys for like eight bucks now eight bucks back 30 years ago that was probably like 20 dollars now i forgot who they had but it was like all these like old hall of fame guys the only one that stands out in my mind is jean beliveau i've told this story a million times i'll tell it one more time and i remember my mom and i went to this show i didn't know how much autographs were going to cost and i was just like eight dollars you know and i was just like no that's okay And I had with me a copy of Sports Illustrated from like 1954, 56, and it had Jean Beliveau on the cover. And my mom said to me, she said, give me the Sports Illustrated. And I handed it to her. She walked away. She bought the autograph for $8. She got it signed. To this day, I am grateful she did that because Jean Beliveau wrote to SJB, which are my initials, to SJB, best wishes, Jean Beliveau in blue marker and it's a 1956 sports illustrated it's like a head and shoulder shot of him it's smiling it's just such a fantastic thing man i should really frame that and hang that somewhere because absolutely just without the autograph it's nice the fact that it's autographed makes it way nicer the fact that my mother did it for me because I was too stupid or too cheap or too naive. That's the word I'm going to say is naive. So I don't want to be like, oh, $79 for Ray Bork. That's a lot of money because it's all relative. Because in 20 years from now, am I going to be kicking myself that I didn't get Ray Bork's rookie card autographed when I had the chance to? There you go. Maybe a discussion for another time. Is Sal cheap on the next podcast? We will find out. Uh, that's funny yeah alright I think this is a good place to end sure I guess my question then is will you please write us a review on Spotify on Apple Podcasts on Amazon Music wherever you listen to this show and until next time I want to thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast please follow us on social media and until next time Collect what you like. For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at PuckJunk.